refuge. This is the Lord's word. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, that the man slayer might flee there, anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally, without being at enmity with him in time past. He may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer in the wilderness, on the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the Manassites. Joshua chapter 20, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses. That the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at that time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. Good morning, everyone, again. Gosh, as I get older, I feel the air pressure. I feel the weight. I feel my joints. I feel time passing you know, as I get older. And um, you start to realize that the flesh may fade away. But God's spirit renews the inner self day by day. Even though it's harder for me at my age for, I feel like, I'm talking like my 80-year-old man, but I feel like sometimes it's harder for my body to get out, but my spirit is eager to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so perhaps today you're, 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 you're feeling a little under the weather. I know there's brothers and sisters who could not make it today because they had the flu. Um, perhaps you're feeling the, the pressures of the, of the weather around us, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that we can gather together. Thanks be to God that we can worship him. Our message today is an interesting message uh, for many reasons. One being the place of this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 41, uh, in the midst of the book of Deuteronomy. To me, when I first read this, it, it seems like a strange place for this passage to be in. It seems like an insertion, perhaps, of an editor later on, uh, reading through Deuteronomy, who, who wanted to sort of accentuate God's building of these cities of refuge. For you see, in Deuteronomy 1 through 4, what is Moses doing? 
Again, Moses is simply recounting the history of Israel. He's telling the second generation who's about to, to take the land that God has promised them. Listen to what God has done in the past. Listen to the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to your ancestors. That even though your previous generation spent their time in Egypt, God had promised them this land and God will give it to them. Remember how you disobeyed God and even in the midst of your rebellion, God's presence is still there. And remember how God has charged you to continue to be faithful to the history that he has given you and to know that the Lord is your, your warrior and that he will bring this land to you. You who are his great army, not because you have weapons of war. Look at you, you're a ragtag bunch of guys. But since God is a warrior fighting for you, you are his army. Have confidence. And then right after this, he goes on to, to enjoin or to, to tell his people, listen, keep his law. And we'll get to this next week. He explains to them, okay, now that you know that God loves you, here are his Ten Commandments. Here is the way that you can remain in his grace and in his mercy. And to do so, when, you, when God gives you this land, so that he may prosper you. Now that seems like a, a nice flow. First we start, let's look at the history. Let me tell you who you are. Now let me tell you what you must do after you, you gain the land. But right in between there, in these three verses is inserted this passage about places of refuge. And it's just odd. I would rather see, if I was writing Deuteronomy, I would like to see this within the ends, end of the portions of the laws of Ten Commandments and then some other things that we need to do once we take the land. Oh, yeah, let's put a city of refuge here. But that makes more sense if I'm writing a paper. If I was an English professor and I was looking at this, I'd be like, what is this doing here? Edit this out. Cut and paste it and put it over here. This is a mistake. But there's something gracious about the way that this book has been put together and the way that the Lord views his covenant people and cares for them, that he has placed this passage here. Let's dig deep. Let's see what this passage says. And let's see what the Lord is doing for his people then and what the Lord is doing for us as well. So before he goes into the law, he says, let's set apart three cities east of the Jordan River. And so he sets up these three cities of refuge east of the Jordan River. And these are called simply cities of refuge. And Joshua 20 verse 1 gives us a more fuller view of what that looks like. So in Joshua, they've already taken the land. And instead of three cities of refuge, there are six. Three east of the Jordan and three west of the Jordan. Remember, the half-tribes were given their inheritance east of the Jordan River. And if you looked at Israel, let's say Israel's like a rectangle, the Jordan River's down the middle. The cities of refuge are simply dotted like this. 
So geographically, there are places where anyone can get to. They're not sort of in this one corner where if you did something wrong, you had to go all the way across Israel. But there was an access to these cities of refuge at strategic places in the city or in the nation. Now, the purpose of this is very simple. Is if you, and, and the way that it's, it's portrayed here, the, the manslayer, okay? So this is for someone who has killed or murdered, or, sorry, not murdered, killed someone else, but killed someone else unintentionally. That there was no malice or hatred, that there was nothing premeditated, I guess in today's parlance, we would we call it manslaughter. Just a pure accident. But there, there's something interesting about this. Is that this manslayer, okay, even though he was in, even though he didn't intentionally kill him, that if there were those who were avengers of the blood, okay, so in that culture or in that time, if someone murdered someone, then the family members had a right to, well, dole out the same, the same fate. And so, in a sense, a man, was, a man or a woman is dead. In a sense, justice has to be meted out. In a sense, an image bearer of God has died. You know, we, we know from the Noahic Covenant and that you know, even if an animal were to kill a human being, we know animals are not sentient beings, but if they were to kill a human being, that there is some sort of judgment waiting for that animal in heaven. You're like, well, what, kind of, what could it be? Is he going to be dinner? I mean, what, 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 kind of, what kind of judgment could there be? But the, the essence is that how important and how joyous is, is an image bearer of God. That everyone has value. And so in, in one sense, there's, there, there's sadness that a life has been taken. That a life is gone. But there's also a sense that this man who killed does not deserve the punishment of death. And so he is to run to these cities of refuge. And when he gets there, the, the elders hear his case. And if they deem that this was an accidental killing, they received him. If they deemed it wasn't an accidental killing, well, you know, to those avengers of the blood, they're at their mercy. And then when they were received into that city, if those avengers of the blood would come, they were instructed not to let them in. This was a safe place for them. And they were to stay there and live there until the high priest of that period had passed away. Then they could return to their homes and they were protected under, under the law. Those who, were avenged, who wanted to avenge their blood had no, no more right at all to them. This is what Moses set up. And this is what God commanded 
Moses to set up before they went in. This is what Joshua did set up in the fuller sense with, with six of these cities of refuge for the nation of Israel. And this is what God's in his grace and his mercy when he looked at what he wanted to do for his kingdom understood the importance of his people to love his people and to prepare places for his people that were places of refuge and of mercy do you remember two weeks ago we, we talked about the fact that when, when, when Moses uh, looked at the throng of people he said you know I can't I can't judge all of you guys. I can't rule all of you guys. You're too, you're too many. If there's a dispute between these two people, you know, I can't, I can't sit and listen all day and adjudicate. I can't, I can't do that. There's too many of you. And so he set up people to rule under him, people over hundreds, people thousands, people over hundreds, and then tens, and, and they were to adjudicate according to whatever dispute the parties would have. And the adjudication there was about what? It wasn't simply about figuring what's right or wrong, but it was about restoring the fellowship and restoring the community that God has built. That in order for the nations to see that the Lord is a God of grace and the Lord is a God of mercy, God's people have to live accordingly as well. That it wasn't everyone up everyone for themselves. It wasn't everyone making up the law as they went on. It wasn't everyone making up community as, as they, at the whims of, of what their flesh was telling them. It was community based upon the law, the truth of God, but lived out in love with one another. And this to God was what was important to him more than taking the land. Why is that? Because taking the land was easy for him. Let me say that again. For God, taking the land is not hard. He doesn't, he doesn't need us. He could send his, his throng of angels. He could send his pillar of fire. He could send the plagues. He could wipe out a whole population and take the place for himself. But there's more to God's kingdom than simply taking land. It's about building up a body who can love one another, have mercy one, for one another, and can show the greatness of God's presence in the midst of them. And so even when we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 1, when he, when he gathered, these, gathered these people and set up leaders up over them, it wasn't simply to build a nation to, to have order. It was to build that community of people who can love one another. This passage is amazing for many reasons. One is that in the ancient Near East, you don't hear of cities of refuge. 
You don't hear of places where people can run to, even if they spilt blood unknowingly. This was, in many ways, a way to show the nations of God's understanding of his grace and mercy to people who, for one reason or another, was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You look at ancient civilizations. The only place that you could run to was the king. And you were just at, according to his whim, whether he would accept you or not. One man. But God demonstrated his mercy to his people by saying, I will set you apart from the nations by having these places of refuge to show mercy in a world that does not show mercy. And that you who slayed the life of someone unknowingly may run to you. To me, when I, when I read Deuteronomy and I, and I see this passage and I see later on how, how Joshua um, constructs these six places of refuge, you can't help but hearing the heart of God that Deuteronomy is not a book of laws, that God is not a God who's, trying to, who's into nation building, that God is not a God of simply of sort of crossing the T's, down the I's to, to form this army to take a place. He's a God who wants people's hearts. He's a God who is a God of justice, but also a God of mercy. He's a God who understands and knows that the, the, the difficulties in life, the vicissitudes of life, that life is uncontrollable and even that life is uncontrollable and that God himself will provide places for people like that. There's many ways that people come to know God because God is just, well, he's God. He's multifaceted. Some people come to know the Lord because, well, they're lonely. People have failed them. And then God shows up and says, I love you. And for the first time, they experience unconditional love. And they receive Christ and they start to grow and to understand who, who God is. There are people, and I know some of you might be very skeptical about this, but there's a reason many people come to know Christ when they're imprisoned. There's a reason why many people come to know Christ when they have nothing. Sure, the world would say it's because, you know, you're just weak. 
Sure, the world will say it's because you're not strong. But scripture teaches us that it's in our weaknesses or the God who loves those who are poor is where he meets us. And even those who have, those who have sinned against God, who have committed crimes, God meets. And perhaps you're one of these. Perhaps you're someone who, who's more like, I need to be loved. <laughs> and people laugh at you. But you, you think about that all the time. God loves you. God knows you. God loves you. God knows you better than yourself. And he still loves you. Perhaps there's some of you here who, who've committed what you believe is a heinous crime. You've wronged someone. You're living a life you think is just not pleasing to God. And the guilt just, it's, it's written in your heart. And you think that no one can forgive me, let alone God. If that man who was nailed to the cross with Jesus can say to God, God, let me see you in paradise. Who knew that he deserved his punishment. If God can forgive him, God will forgive you. There's a joy in that. But this is the third case. This is what I call sort of the, the innocent sufferer. And this could be many of you, or perhaps you know someone like this. Someone who was given simply, as we like to say, what? A bad hand in life. Just a bad hand. Just things did not go their way. Businesses failing left and right. Perhaps families broken when you were just a little kid. Perhaps you witnessed someone, someone die. Perhaps there's guilt in you that you know is, is, is not directly tied to your own your own hands but there's a guilt simply of surviving or having witnessed and you don't know what to do can you can you imagine these people oh, you're out in a farm and you're just farming together and you, know, you, you swing your you're on your scythe around and you accidentally kill someone and the only thing you can think about is my life is ruined my family's life is ruined my kids will suffer what do I do? these cities of refuge and the refuge that God has for these people these people who are not simply seeking love or these people who 
know they have sinned, but those of us who are in between, who are seeking just a refuge, a safe place, where God's presence is. He's built that for them. He's built that for you. If you're someone who's, who's in the midst of suffering and the shame of your suffering is just immense, you can't unburden yourself to anyone. Unburden yourself to the Lord. He hears you. If you're someone without a home, without a place to rest your head, God is the place of refuge, his shelter, where you can rest your head. God understands that this world is broken, and you understand that too. can't help but to read and reread um, that article in Christianity Today by Miss Dara Hollander, the lawyer, former gymnast who was abused by Larry Nasser. I can't help as I read that thinking of her situation of someone who's been wrong. And yet her ability to simply forgive, but not in a way that's Pollyanna-ish, but in a way that simply releases her personal vengeance against him. But in a way that simply seeks justice as well for what he has done, but also praying and wishing for Mr. Nasser or Doc, Mr. Nasser to come to full repentance that he may receive the fullness of the forgiveness of God. Now why I bring that up is because many of us in the midst of confusion in our lives, we don't know where to go. We don't know who to look for for refuge. We don't know who, where to run to. Ms. Hollander's case is a little bit different since she was sinned against. But her refuge was God and her ability to walk through the immense pain and struggle of, of her own and other people's abuse is absolutely remarkable. You see, God wants us not to be people who, who run around in our suffering, but to come to him in our suffering and to release our pity, release our anger, 
release our suffering. And so that we can go into the world and minister to people who have similar sufferings and similar strife. But with a heart that is calm, with a heart that's at peace, the heart that still struggles, but goes to the Lord for sustenance. You need refuge. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came here, we hear that he's come to forgive us of our sins, and that's true. That he's come to adjudicate us, and, and he's found us as innocent because his blood has covered over our sins, and he has given us his righteousness or his innocence so that when we stand before the Lord, the Lord says, I do not see your works. I see the works of Christ, and the works of Christ are deemed worthy. And so that worthiness has been imputed or given to me, and so God sees me as innocent. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. The laws which God has given, we'll see next week in Deuteronomy 5 and 6, they're beautiful. But the way that God's grace and mercy is shown through Jesus Christ is he came to love people, to be in the midst of people, to shelter people, to give people who had a raw deal, to give them significance, to give them life. Is it not Jesus who appeared to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 6? Who was the Samaritan woman? An outsider. Who was the Samaritan woman? She was simply born as a Samaritan. She didn't do anything wrong. But she was outside the promises of God. But Jesus came to include those who are outside. Who are the children? People say, why are these children around here? Jesus, you need to teach. And Jesus says, let the children come to me. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Those who are ostracized, he welcomes in. The orphan, the widow. And Jesus came to love people and to shelter them from the storms of life as he gives them salvation as well that he so freely desires to give to all of you. You see, the purpose of Israel is not a political state in Deuteronomy. The purpose of the church is not a political body of can we run the most efficient ministry? Can we have the best committees? How many people can we have? You know, to be honest, as a pastor, I'm afraid to have a real big church. You know why? Because when I go to heaven and God asks me, well, what about this person who's a member of your church? How, how, how is she doing? I'd be like, I don't know. I only talked to her once in my five years. I don't want that. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. But I want you to understand 
that we as a church through Christ Jesus are now a place of refuge. Yes, love those who just need love. Forgive those whose sins are just outwardly just, outwardly just simply ask for forgiveness. But how about everything in between? We're all different circumstances in life. We, we, we like to, this word nowadays in, in our culture, this word privilege, has such a, a real harsh connotation to it. It's a harsh judgmental connotation to it uh, that oftentimes it divides people and gives and just foments hatred to one another. Sometimes it's used to feel self-righteous as well. Let me tell you, your privilege is very simple. You know Jesus. Your privilege is very simple. You're sinners. Your privilege is very simple. You're all the same. But in the midst of that privilege, you see God's handiwork in all of you. When I see each one of you, I see people who have suffered. People who have mistakenly done wrong in their past. And people who are looking for someone to tell their story. And for that, those leaders in that city to say, it's okay, you can stay here. For us as God's people, we need to say to one another, in Christ's name, Tell me your story. Tell me all. In the end, we say, you're welcome. Stay here. Stay. And know that our Lord will take care of you. Let's pray.